Good morning. Um, if you allow me, Tim, I, I just get this sent. Thank you, Lord, that you're in full control of every person that enters this room today. We thank you that your word is yea and amen. We thank you for clarity and understanding. We thank you that our spirits will rise up way above circumstances and that your word will bring truth and understanding. We bind every spirit that would try to take away this word in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and we release an understanding, love, joy, peace, gentleness. Against such things, there is no law. So we free only seeful and ourselves as the word goes forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning once again. Uh, I, I would just like to do a sound check because I know that my voice is, is low. Can you all hear me? <laughs> Okay, um, we are continuing with our series, uh, for those that know, um, we are doing the Resolved series, and the team is continuing with the series, but we, for this uh, Sunday, we just um, felt in our spirit that we just take a slight detour, as Brent did the other week. So today is going to be something similar. So I'm just going to preach something a little bit different and then Tim is going to continue with the series as from next week. Okay. Um, it, it's going to be quite a, an interesting one for me because normally I don't use notes. But for, for this one, I felt God pushing me in that direction. So if I fumble a little bit here, there, and there, bear with me. Um, in language, when we deal with the subject of interpretation and meaning, the dictionary or the lexicon is not always the solution because sometimes a word can have more than one meaning. And in such instances where a word has more than one meaning, Normally, we tend to context for meaning and application. Uh, let me just give you an example. If you go to Isaiah 53, okay, I'm, I apologize also in advance because I do not have uh, the Bible verses, but I'm trusting that all of you did bring your, your Bibles. So if you go to Isaiah 53, there's a, there's a common verse that we normally use, especially when someone is sick. And I, I'm, I, I just want to, to read it. It's Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, Without going into into the, the the entire book or the entire chapter, normally when we use that that word Rafa healed, it's in the sense when someone is sick and we are praying for healing, physical healing, as in for someone to be healthy. But when you read this chapter, 
in essence, what is being referred to is not healing in the sense of physical healing, but it is healing in the sense which provides another definition of the word rafa, which talks about restored favor and forgiveness. So within the context of Isaiah 53, you find that the message is to Israel who had gone astray, and now there's a message of hope that they were going to be restored. But it does not necessarily mean that we cannot use the scripture for healing. Because if you, if, you, if you look at it, by implication, the stripes, the blood, they did bring us to a place of physical healing. But I'm just trying to highlight this point that in terms of meaning, when a word has more than one definition, then context does provide us with an opportunity to understand the way. The title is Heart Matters. The Bible has many instances where it mentions the word heart. And in many of those instances, in fact, perhaps let me begin here. When we look at the word heart, instinctively we are drawn to the understanding of the physical heart. The heart being at the center in terms of circulation. The heart pumps blood or circulates blood throughout your our entire bodies. And if you, if you, if you read Exodus, or oh sorry, uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 9 to 10. It says, in fact, from verse 10. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eat any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and, I, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Let me just pause there. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when you look at it from that sense, the heart pumps the, the blood throughout the entire body. So it gives us this picture of the heart being at the center of life itself. Now, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, this metaphor of the heart being at the center is carried forward in many instances where we read uh, the word heart. Because now there's, a, there's another definition of, of the word heart, which is uh, L-E-B. Just trying to read it. Uh, it's, it's actually pronounced lev, but it's written L-E-B. Now, with, with this word, the understanding now moves from the physical heart pumping blood, standing where the heart is, is referred to as the mind or the inner man. Just, 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 just bear with me. I'm trying to lay some foundation and I will bring it together towards the end. Now, if you, if you take that metaphor of the heart being at the center and you transfer it to the heart being defined as the mind, it gives us this picture of now again the mind being at the center of our existence in terms of our decisions, our emotions, uh, understanding of right and wrong, and so on. But we just get this picture of centrality being the metaphor that is carried over from the physical, which is the heart. Now, I... I I just want to move away from that because I just wanted to maybe just lay the foundation in terms of the definition. I want to read two more scriptures. Uh, Isaiah 61, 
in fact, perhaps let me let me not read them for 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 the sake of time. Isaiah sixty one talks about Jesus comes to set the captives free. And in John chapter eight, that idea also is is mentioned. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, when you when you when you look at that picture, Christ sets us free spiritually. But that freedom has to be realized in the physical. It's spiritual, but it has to be realized in the physical. And if you go to Second Corinthians chapter five. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Freedom has come because the old has passed away and the new has come. We have been set free. The extent to which the new creation reality is lived out is according to the level of understanding that is carried by each individual. It is possible for one to be a new creation, but living an old man reality. If you, if you go to Gen, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is in the grave. And I'm sure we all know the story. Uh, dead for a number of days, and then Jesus comes to revive him. Let me just put it that way. Because he, he, he was actually dead. So I just, I just want to pick up in verse 43 uh, what, what Jesus says. When he, when, he had said, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Uh, again, if you go to Luke chapter, chapter 8, if you go to Luke chapter 8, you, you find the story of Jairus. His daughter has passed away. Now, when Jesus had revived the daughter, he says, give her something to eat. Sometimes maybe that cannot be readily understood, but if you go again to Luke 24, uh, when he's now talking to the disciples, this is after his resurrection, and the disciples are, are, are sort of puzzled by by his existence, even though he had told them. But not, but now they are sort of puzzled, and he speaks to them. And one of the things that he says, he says, "Give me something to eat, because the dead do not get hungry, the dead do not eat." So this idea is. A testimony to say when life has come something has to bear witness Lazarus came out and Jesus instructs let him remove the clothes that were a reflection of the old has to be left behind now Romans 12 Romans 12 uh, verse 2 Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just two quick thoughts that I want to uh, highlight there. The first one is, change is a requirement for every believer. It is not an option. Change is a requirement for every believer. The old and the new cannot coexist. 
Tim said something so interesting um, last week. Uh, I wrote it down because I didn't want to um, say it incorrectly. He said, what we worry about the most reveals where we trust God the least. What we worry about the most reveals where we trust God the least. If, if, you, if you look at that picture for a moment, in most instances, the worry has to do with the old being transferred into the new. Where in the old, your understanding was according to your strength, how things are going in your life, what you have, what you do not have, and so on. But when the new comes, instead of us leaving behind that way of understanding, we carry it over into the new. And now we begin to experience such issues where I'm a new creation, I'm set free, I'm free. But my understanding of the new creation is limited to just salvation. My sins are forgiven, but everything else pertaining to this reality, I've not really laid hold of. That is why change is a requirement. It's not an option for every believer. Second thought, transformation is a fruit, not an activity. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we talk of transformation, it's not something that you go out and do. It is produced by other things that are part of your life. Because a lot of the times when, 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 we, when we talk about transformation, the person whom we consider to be transformed, most of the time they really do not realize that transformation that we are talking about. But it is perceived. But when we move closer and look and examine his life, we begin to see a number of activities that are a part of that person's life. Because it is those little activities that produce the transformation. So that is why transformation is not, is not an activity. When we talk about someone being transformed, it's not something that you go out and do, but it is something that calls on you to reflect on the little things that God has called you to do. And then in the process, those little things will produce the transformation. Now, uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23. Let me just quickly go there. Because now as we, as we talk about re renewal, in fact, when you, when you, when you go to the, to the, to the Hebrew, it, 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 the word is aina kenosis, which uh, talks about complete, complete change for the better. Not just minor, complete change for the better. So when you talk about renewal, we talk about transformation. There, there is this question that I myself am asking. How exactly do we get there? And one thing that I can tell you, I don't think any one person has a complete answer. Because how the story unfolds for each and every person is different. But God has given us some handles on some of the issues that pertain to our existence. So there is no one size fits all, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we have been left with nothing. So Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Uh, there, 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 is, there is this scripture again. Let's, uh, sorry, it's First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. We are living in very perilous times where the line between the truth and the lie, believer and non-believer, is getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And a lot of the times, when you look at it, it has to do with this idea that the world is pumping into the church of sin. Where now, these, these, these things from outside are filtering into the church. How we understand worship, how we understand the message, how we understand our salvation. All of these ideas from outside are beginning to filter into the church. And in essence, what then they are doing is they are causing our hearts or our minds to be polluted or to be diluted. If I, if I, if I could give, give like a, a, a direct example, we're talking at home sale about cartoons, for example. There was a time when cartoons were safe. If your child was watching a cartoon, you would, you would not even bother. It's just a cartoon. But nowadays, it's no, longer this, it's no longer like that. That which we knew to be good, the enemy is slowly perverting and using against us as believers or us as the church. Which is why we need to be vigilant in terms of what we allow into our own personal spaces, allow into our minds, and so on. Because a lot of the times, you find that we will complain about one thing, but when we sit down and we examine how we live out our daily lives, what we watch, what, whom we associate with, and all those kind of little things, you begin to see a problem. Because you would watch perversity on television, people kissing, and all those kind of things, which have been made to be so light. Come on, it's just a kiss. It doesn't mean anything. But when you, when you truly begin to examine what the enemy is doing and where we are headed and how it's beginning to show in terms of the perversity that is out there, you begin to see that there is nothing that we can refer to as small because everything has a purpose. Within the kingdom of God or within the kingdom of, dark, of darkness, it's, it's the same. Everything has a purpose. So that is why we need to be vigilant and when, when, when the scripture says evil company corrupts good morals, do not look at it just within the context of people, but also look at it or extend it in terms of the other things that you keep company with. It doesn't have to be people alone, but other things as well, they can have the same potential or they can lead you to the same outcome where you are slowly and surely drifting away from the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, Paul brings us to this second idea that I, I would like to share as one of the handles. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24. 
I'm starting to read from verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Second one is discipline. You know, discipline, when you, when, you, when you closely examine it, you could have the best gift out there that you could think of. But without discipline, that gift is most likely to hurt you and others than anything else. And in fact, maybe before we even get there, that gift is most likely never going to flourish. Hebrews chapter 5 says, it talks about, or it gives us this idea of saying, who have their senses sharpened by reason of use? When, when we begin or when we start out pertaining to most things, they do not start out easy. They are difficult. They, 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 they do not make sense. There are, there are many things. I mean, okay, my wife is not here, so I'm safe. In marriage, for example, your spouse can do something completely disagree with. Completely. The question is, what then is, is, is your response? In, in, in other relationships as well, it could be the same. Not everything is going to come out and be that which we can understand readily. But there's this other idea that says, I live my life in a disciplined manner. Let me just put it that way. I discipline my body. I subject it to the authority of Christ for the glory of God. Which means I do not allow that which I do not understand now to determine the future that God has for me. Because a lot of the times, what you do not understand now, when it becomes revealed in the future, you feel like going into a deep hole. Because God is not in the process of saying, I want to make Spiso happy, Tim happy, or whomever. God is building his kingdom. And that process is not going to be what we might think it to be. But as Paul says here, he gives us this idea of saying, I look ahead. There's another goal that I'm looking towards. I discipline my body because I, I'm looking at the goal. I'm looking at the prize. I want to attain that prize. So, attaining that prize, it means in the present, I need to abstain from this. I need to be silent here. I need to pray here. Because ultimately, all of these things, if I, I'm not careful, they will serve the same purpose. Where they will pollute and dilute my heart. So, as I bring this to a close, the Bible talks about 
our hearts or our minds. Our, as, as the title says, heart matters. Issues of the heart, they matter. There are no trivial issues. They matter. They are important. Which is why the Bible brings us to this other idea. It says, judge yourself. Lest you be judged. If, if I'm the one who's doing the judging, and how do I judge? I hold up scripture and the truth of God against my life, against my understanding, my view or interpretation of things, and I allow the truth of God to direct my path. Because as that happens, I begin to address and deal with the heart issues. I begin to address the things that are now a filter preventing me from seeing or understanding as God has called me out to understand. I mean, Tim, I think, said something uh, to this effect that he can stand here. He's preaching the Resolve series, a very profound series. But here's the thing. If that filter of the old man, you do not lay it down, you do not challenge it, you do not discipline your body and root it out, whatever is being said will be continually blocked by this idea that you have pertaining to who you are and so on. None of us are perfect. Paul says, I, I do not claim that I've, I've, I've already attained it, if I put it that way. But I lean on, how does he put it? I, I, I press on, thank you Tim. But I press on. That's the whole idea, to say, as a church, let us press on. The, the heart issues, the things that we have allowed in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, it's not going to be easy. It is not going to be easy. Every opportunity that God gives us, we need to press on, trusting that his word is going to be a light and a lamp. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your holy name. There is none like you, no other father like you. In all things, may you be exalted. In all things, may you be glorified. As a church, Father, we humble ourselves, trusting you, Holy Spirit, that that which we are not able to do right now, that which we do not understand right now, that you will help us, you will walk with us, you will guide us, you will be our peace, you will be our strength, you will be our joy in the midst of the storm. We will not wait up until we get to the other side, but we will rejoice and experience peace as we go through the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.